Hey, welcome to Soul Sanctuary this morning. Uh, we're glad that you've decided to join us. You've probably heard us welcome you here a couple of times by this point. Um, but I just want to say again, uh, whoever you are, wherever you find yourself in life, there's a place for you here at Seoul. Uh, our doors are open. You are welcome here. My name is Jordan. Uh, I'm the student ministries director here at Seoul, uh, which essentially means that I get to work with our high school students uh, at Wildlife Youth. <laughs> Our lame high school students who sit in the front row. Yeah, okay. All right, all right, all right, all right. Quit pitying me. Um, I, I get to work with our high school students, which essentially means, it kind of breaks it down, uh, I get to throw parties and teach students about Jesus, which is a great job. I thoroughly enjoy it. And I get to do it alongside uh, a team of incredible volunteers. Actually, we're going to do an escape room uh, this Friday after youth, our, our youth leaders. I, there's a 14-person escape room here in the city that we found out. That's because you're not invited. Sorry. Uh, but there's a 14-person escape room. How cool is that? Uh, so I get to work with this, this uh, dynamic team, a whole bunch of different personalities, and uh, we make Friday nights happen here. Also work with our, our young adult community here at Seoul, uh, making sure that our life groups are up and running. So if you are find yourself in that uh, 20-something, 18, you know, you're right out of high school or, or you're in the early stages of your career and you want to get plugged in somewhere, uh, come talk to me after the gathering. We'd absolutely love to host you in one of our life groups. Uh, so with that being said, uh, before Pastor Jerry went to uh, Russia, he's probably in the air right now, returning from a trip from Russia and uh, the Ukraine. But before he went, he, he t delegated sermon topics uh, to some of us on staff. And uh, I drew the, uh, the card, or, or I guess he, he played it to me, of missions. And so th the first thing that I did, because what I do whenever I'm given a topic to speak on, I go to my bookshelf and I start scouring my bookshelf. What have I learned in the past? What have I, I read that has value to it? What, what have I read? Do you have something for me? We have somebody who has their lights on. If you are, it's a truck, a Ford F-150. If you are HGF-265, your lights are on, which means that if you don't turn them off, you'll probably be stacking chairs while somebody boosts your car. So you might want to go get that one. With that said, Pastor Jerry said, uh, he, he said, Here, here's mission. So I go to my bookshelf and I start scouring. What have I read? What have I learned? What do I know about missions that I could share uh, with other people? What, what do I have of value? Uh, and I looked at my bookshelf and I was like, ooh, nothing on my bookshelf directly relates to the topic of missions as we understand it in the Western church. And when I think about my first exposure to missions, I think about a friend uh, that I grew up with. Uh, we went to a youth group together back in the day, and we kind of grew up alongside each other. We're, we're there for all of our uh, pivotal moments in each other's lives. You know, first girlfriend, graduating from high school, first breakup, those things like that. And uh, he, had, he had begun talking to me a, a little bit after high school about a passion that he had birthing in his heart. And he had, he had a passion for Africa, he said. And that was so beyond my, my scope of missions, because at this point in my life, the only thing that I understood about missions uh, was something that a guest speaker would come to church and they'd talk about what they're doing overseas, or they'd talk about what they're doing uh, in Africa, Asia, or the jungle somewhere. And I think that's what a lot of us associate missions with. Regardless, this friend of mine, uh, he began talking about this passion uh, for the continent of Africa, and this passion of his quickly fanned into a raging fire, and he understood missions in a new light almost overnight. And it was right before New Year's Eve when this, um, when he was enlightened, if you want to put it this way, and uh, he had heard a rumor that a girl was coming to a New Year's Eve party, 
And he didn't know much about this girl other than the fact that she had just returned from a humanitarian trip to South Africa. So, maybe my spoiler's up there, but he, before the New Year's Eve party, he quickly switched the background on his phone from a picture of a Hollywood actress to the continent of Africa. Uh, And this is kind of his ploy, and, and... It seemed to work out for him because shortly after he began dating this girl and shortly after that he joined her on a trip to South Africa and shortly after that he married her and now they're in in plans for long-term relocation uh, to South Africa. So my scope of missions might just be related to switching the background on your phone. Now... That's not entirely true. I do think that there, there's value. Uh, you coming here today, you're going to leave with something that hopefully touches your heart and hopefully challenges you and impacts you to change things in your everyday life. Whether or not you associate the word missions with Africa, Asia, un- reaching undocumented tribes, that, that's not the point. Today, uh, I ask you to come into our conversation with an open mind, an open heart, and allowing the Lord to speak to you. So before we go any further, let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you love us just where we are at. And God, I thank you that you brought us each here for a reason today. Lord, open our hearts. May we see with your eyes. We thank you in your name. Amen. So today we're going to look to the authority on missions, and that's the Bible. And we're going to look to the Bible and see what it has to say to us about what does it mean to be a missionary. What does it mean to live a life on mission? And we're going to start in the book of Matthew chapter 28. You can look it up for yourself. You could also read along on the screens. So it starts in verse 1, and it says this, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And I think we can get maybe a little bit too comfortable with the scriptures at times. We'll get too familiar with this. Put yourself in the shoes of one of the Marys here, or, or maybe one of the guards for that matter. They are not comfortable. This is absolutely world-shattering experience for them. This is not Hollywood. This is not creative CGI. This is real life, an experience which very few people at this point in history have ever witnessed. Let's pick back up. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. So a quick break to establish the context of where we are. Three days earlier, Jesus Christ has been put to death at the hands of the Romans at the persistence of the Jews. And Jesus' death undoubtedly sent reverberations right throughout Jerusalem and the surrounding area. People knew that this guy had died, but in a way this is not different from what Jerusalem had previously seen. There had been many messiahs, self-proclaiming messiahs, who came along and said, I am the Son of God, and then the Romans killed them. And then another one would come along and say, I am the Son of God, and then the Romans killed them. And their followers would kind of stew for a little bit and then go to the next self-proclaiming messiah. But the difference here with this messiah is that Jesus himself is killed, but is now alive. 
He has resurrected. And this is where we're picking up. The one self-proclaiming Messiah who is dead at the beginning of the day and by noon is alive. This hasn't happened before. And we look at verse 8, which says, So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, for they will see me there. So first, an angel. Uh, Second, that angel tells you that Jesus is alive, which completely turns your world on its head. Third, you run into Jesus. Fourth, Jesus is like, hey, what's up? Greetings. Imagine what's going on in the minds of these ladies right now. Jesus was dead. They were going to his tomb to complete a burial ritual. They get there. He's not there. An angel, a divine presence, something crazy going on here, tells them he's alive. Then they go uh, uh, to go find Jesus' disciples, and they run into Jesus himself. This is a completely pivotal moment in the lives of these women. Jumping ahead a couple verses, and this is where we'll wrap this up. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the, and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And it's in this moment that Jesus reveals himself after his resurrection. And he speaks to his followers a command, which is the reason that you are sitting in a church here 2,000 years later. This passage is known as the Great Commission, and it's Jesus' instructions to those who claim to follow him. An act to be carried out by all of his disciples, then and now. A paraphrase of this can be found in the message translation of the Bible, and it simplifies Jesus' instructions as this. Go out and train everyone you meet, far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in all the practice that I have commanded you. And this passage, this great commission is important. And we know it's important because it shows up in the Bible time after time after time after time. And it's said in different ways, but we can look from Genesis right to the book of Revelation, the beginning cover to the back cover, and we can find this passage restated and re-emphasized by numerous biblical authors. Anybody in here like reading your Bible? So what are you supposed to say when the guy up front says, do you like reading your Bible, right? Yeah, me too, only when I have to preach. It's a joke, guys, come on. Acts 1, let's go to Acts 1. Acts 1 contains Jesus' last recorded words before his ascension into heaven. And he says in verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus tells his disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes down and empowers his disciples. And then as the book of Acts goes on, his disciples to start, start to move out. 
of Jerusalem and into surrounding regions, eventually into Europe and Asia Minor. To some, this message is received with wide open hearts. To some, the message is flatly rejected. And to some, they actively seek to suppress the message's spread. We can go to 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 20, another passage. And it says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling himself to the world in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And in this passage, it's Paul telling the the Corinthian church, uh, this is the progression of a new believer. It follows suit. First, the recognition that you are saved by grace. The recognition that you are a new creation. That God does not hold your past sins against you, nor nor will he ever hold your sins against you. And, And that's step one, recognizing that. And then second is being a new creation found in Christ means that you are now an ambassador of Christ, a representative of his mission, sharing with others the joy and the love that you have experienced. And finally, you play an active part in the process of reconciliation, reconciling the world back to Christ. He uses us to walk with people, teaching them to drop their differences and to return to the work, God's work of making things right. We'll look at one more here. We're going to go to 1 Peter 2, 9. And it says that you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And as followers of Christ, you're saved from a life of darkness. You're saved from a life of perpetual hopelessness, a life of sin and a life of despair. And now you have the opportunity to praise the one who has rescued your life from the pit, to praise the one, to sing the praises of him who has saved you. And a quick summary of all those passages that we just looked at. God loves you. He sent his son to die on your behalf. His death is an offering of grace and you never need to work off your sin debt because he has paid it all. All you need to do is recognize that Jesus loves you and accept that he wants to use your life in in incredible ways. And once you've received that gift, you turn around and you offer it to as many people as you know. It's not a suggestion, it's the great commission Go find people ready to hear the good news, the gospel message about Jesus' love for them. Baptize them and teach them. And we see this theme showing up over and over and over and over. And so now we've looked through half the Bible. And what does that have to do with missions? What does that have to do uh, with Africa? What does that have to do with Asia? What does that have to do with taking the word of God to undocumented tribes in the jungle somewhere? What does that have to do with a church missions budget? Let's start with the definition of missions. Christian missions is an organized effort to spread Christianity. Missions involves sending individuals in groups called missionaries, 
across boundaries, most commonly geographical boundaries, for the purpose of proselytism, and this involves evangelism and humanitarian work, especially among the poor and disadvantaged. This definition touches on pretty much everything you hate about Western Christianity in the church. Proselytism, evangelism, and it alludes to giving the church money. And we look at this passage and we say, how does this fit in with what the Bible says? How, how, how does Christian mission, proselytizing in, in the sense of uh, sharing your faith with other people so that they join your faith? Wikipedia gives a really like stark definition of that term. Or evangelism, just sharing your faith, sharing the love of God. How does this all fit in? And what does it mean to live a life on mission? I want to break it down into three points this morning. And so we have three more hours left together, so a point per hour is going to work out. Oh, yes. Thanks. Joking, joking. Uh, if you're new here, you're like, oh, okay, what do I walk in on? Uh, number one, point number one, we're going to break this down into three points. Point number one is to live a life on mission means that you are qualified. And hear me out on this. The Great Commission or the validity of the entire Bible has never been called into question by what you do for a living. Hear me very closely. What you do does what you do is not who you are and it does not affect what your mission is. If you are sitting in here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the same mission as the neighbor next to you. And it might look different, and we'll get there in a minute, but you have a mission in common, the Great Commission. Your identity sitting here as a follower of Jesus Christ hinges on the fact that Jesus has a love for you which has saved you and is so far beyond your comprehension or understanding. And that after experiencing that love, you can do nothing else but share it to those around you. With that said, the work of a missionary isn't to be done solely by vocational missionaries, career missionaries who go out and cross geographical boundaries. It's to be done by followers of Christ in their everyday lives, regardless of vocation. Timothy Ferris, he wrote a book, which I absolutely loved. It's called The Four-Hour Workweek. In fact, I enjoyed it so much I had to put it down uh, as soon as I realized that working in a church and working four hours a week are two mutually exclusive concepts. The book's preface, though, Ferris says something um, which is, he identifies a problem in Western society. And it goes a little bit like this. And maybe you've heard this before. Ferris says, the problem is this question. So, what do you do for a living? Ever heard it? Grade 12 students are like shaking in their boots. What are you going to do when you graduate? Anybody? The answer, if, if it's I don't know, totally acceptable. Completely acceptable. And here's why. Ferris goes on to say, I've never enjoyed answering this cocktail question because it reflects an epidemic that I was long a part of. Job descriptions as self-descriptions. Ferris then goes on to explain that if anyone asks him this question with anything but the most sincere of hearts, he just tells them that he's a drug dealer. And this either leads to a completely new realm of conversation or absolutely no conversation at all. But for us in the church today, we need to realize the point that Ferris makes is incredibly important to our mission, the Great Commission. That job descriptions are not self-descriptions. Who you are as a person is not to be tied up in what you do. 
Apart from my Instagram bio, I am not Jordan, just the youth worker, Jordan, the videographer, Jordan, the high school teacher, Jordan, the preacher at Soul Sanctuary on Sunday morning. Some of you may know me through one avenue or another, but that's not who I am as a person. At the end of the day, I am Jordan, a son of God. I am Jordan, one saved by grace. I am Jordan, simply a member of this body of Christ. Henry Nowen is a writer, theologian, he is a Catholic priest, and he said, in our production-oriented society, being busy, having an occupation, has become one of the main ways, if not the main way, of identifying ourselves. Without an occupation, not just our economic security, but our very identity is endangered. And I ask you this morning, don't focus on what you do or on where you've been. And I'm preaching to myself here too. I'm 23 years old and I've already spent way too many restless nights not sleeping and stressing about whether I am where God needs me to be or whether God, I'm where God wants me to be. So take a step back. Take a moment and recognize that you are not defined by what you do. But you are defined by who Jesus is to you. As humans, we cleave to titles. We, we want things that make us feel valued, that, feel, that make us feel worth something. But God has given you a label which is truly to be desired. He has labeled you as forgiven. He has labeled you as accepted. He has labeled you as children of the Most High. I'd like to propose to you that missions is nothing more than the act of shaping the good or of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with those who have not heard it. I'd like to propose that if you're sitting in this place and if you believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, that you are a missionary. The fact is that after his resurrection, Jesus Christ commissioned you to be his hands and feet here on earth, to be filled with the Spirit and to be his ambassador to the nations, including the one in which you find yourself. We may find ourselves at different points in our knowledge of who Jesus is, in our knowledge of the Bible, but a sincere heart and a posture open to knowledge and perhaps correction is the only thing you need to start. Going to point two, when you live a life on mission, diversity is welcomed. I would argue that the body of Christ is the most diverse group on the face of the planet. The body of Christ welcomes all people, regardless of gender, regardless of race, regardless of any defining characteristic. And with that being said, this means that sharing the love of Christ is equally as diverse. The way I share the gospel may different from the way that you share the gospel. The way I share the gospel may different may be different than the person next to me shares the gospel. And with that being said, I did a quick Google search to turn up a couple methods of sharing the gospel. What does sharing the gospel look like according to the internet? One of the first links I found shared over a hundred different ways that you can share the gospel. I've rounded up the top three to share with you today. Number one, wear Christian branded t-shirts and jewelry. A simple way to share the gospel. Okay, it might be a little bit cheesy. You can get those shirts by yourself. Uh, it might be a little bit cheesy, but there's nothing inherently wrong with a popsicle that fades away to a cross or a let's talk about Jesus shirt. Maybe you can add this one to your list. If you've never considered Christian missions before, maybe this is your first step. Maybe not, but maybe. <laughs> Number two. 
Take your single friends to a Christian single marriage seminar so that they can be ministered to during the process of trying to find a spouse. Now, evangelism just got real on this point, and I, I would encourage you, uh, Jesus did not uh, prey upon vulnerable people, and I, I don't think you should do the same either. And the same thing, or, or, or secondly to that, uh, single people aren't inherently broken, waiting to find a spouse to complete them, so we need to get that mentality out of our mind. Number three, remember, these are not me, this is the internet. Take it up with the internet. Number three, email an atheist Bible verses about heaven and hell. You know that this is like the, this is like the, this is going to make a, a, the new sitcom. There's going to be the Christian guy in the office and he just emails Ford spam onto the atheists in the office. This is not a good decision, all right? This one flat out, don't do this one. Establish a relationship first. The gospel message is simple. It's that God created you, he loves you, and he wants to redeem your life from brokenness. This is a message that can be delivered in a multiplicity of ways. But the overarching purpose, overseeing everything that you do while you share the good news, should come from a place of love. For too long, Christians have shared the good news in bad ways. Good news is to be accompanied by a love for others that's birthed in your heart by Jesus. A love that doesn't see people as projects, but sees them as individuals worthy of love and worthy of pursuit. The Apostle Paul helped spread the message of Christ throughout Asia Minor, throughout Europe, arguably one of the most important missionaries in the Christian faith. And he used a variety of different methods while carrying out the final command that Jesus left. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 13. And I'm going to read from the message version here. So if you're a King James Version Puritan, you know what? You can go home, look up the message version. It's good. It says this, even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. To reach the religious, the non-religious, the meticulous moralists, the loose-living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. But I entered into their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. And I did this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. There's a passion that's conveyed here that I absolutely love. I don't want to just talk about it. I want to be in on it. And we know that Paul went to great lengths to communicate the gospel message. And in the end, he, he paid the ultimate price for this. But he tailored his approach to all sorts of people, to Jews who needed to accept that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, was the promised son of God. Then he looked at the Gentiles and said, okay, for these people, they need to or turn away from their pagan gods and accept the fact that Jesus can reshape their perspectives. Paul, wherever he went, gathered communities around the gospel message while training disciples and multiplying workers. And depending on your context, as you sit here today as a missionary, this might look different. There is room for diversity of expression within the body of Christ. But the most important thing is that the message is being communicated. 
As a follower of Christ, you need to ask yourself a simple question. Am I on mission? What do you do in your attempts to lead those around you into a God-saved life? Are you just attending Bible studies or going to church gatherings, simply talking about the mission, or are you in on it? Number three, to be on mission, sacrifice is expected. German theologian and martyr and favorite author, and everybody in my life group knows I talk about him way too much, but his name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he noted that when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And that statement proved true for Bonhoeffer as he spent his final days uh, preaching the good news in a Nazi concentration camp. The camp doctor who presided over Bonhoeffer's death later reported this. I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to God. I was most deeply moved by the way that this lovable man, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a short prayer, climbed climbed the few steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued after a few seconds. In almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. And I don't think that Bonhoeffer foresaw his his death in 1937 when he published The Cost of Discipleship. But rather, Bonhoeffer understood what it meant to be sold out to the cause of Christ. He understood what it meant to prioritize Christ's message above self. He understood what Jesus meant in Matthew 6.33 when he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The pursuit of the Lord's kingdom here on earth. A life lived on mission is a life in which you will face trials. You will come upon troubles. 1 Peter 4, 12-13 says, Don't be surprised at the fiery trial that's come upon you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed at the revelation of his glory. We need to take a step back and shatter this Western paradigm of comfortable Christianity. C.S. Lewis, upon his conversion to Christianity, said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew that a bottle of port could do that. If you want religion, you, if you want religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. The message of Christ is one to take up your cross and to follow him, whatever may come. And once again, this means different things for different people, depending on where you find yourself. But when you are on mission, sacrifice is inevitable. To live a life on mission takes various forms. And here at Soul Sanctuary, uh, community members financially sacrifice to fund missions in Kenya, to fund missions in Indonesia, in Russia, in Brazil, and more. And there are people called missionaries who work on the ground in these regions, and they could not do the work without our support. Pastor Jerry's in the air, returning right now from Russia and the Ukraine, where he spent the last two weeks training and teaching and discipling and encouraging students and local church leaders. In the same respect, 
21 grade 9 to 12 students from Wildlife Youth are preparing for a week-long missions experience in Jamaica. We're working alongside an international missions organization called Mission Discovery, and our team's going to spend six days working alongside Jamaican locals in a children's home orphanage and aiding in the construction of a school for the deaf. Our team is committed to paying a large sum of this trip out of pocket and in doing so, supplying the children's home with resources and toys which will far, the impact of which will far outlast our visit there. I got an email this week from a grade 10 boy who shared with me his excitement as he got a job so he could fund the trip. I had texts from another grade 10 boy asking me how he could write a resume. I told him to Google it. At the end of the day though, we're talking about sacrifice. Missions takes place overseas and in far off lands, yes, but the call of Christ is to be an ambassador wherever you are here now. To live life on mission for the cause of Christ is a calling that all of Jesus' followers have. You are qualified to share and you may share in many diverse ways. Ways. It may look like initiating a conversation with a coworker or family member who has a peaked spiritual interest. Or it may just start with showing a display of love to somebody that you consider unlovable. This past summer, we took a team all the way to Linden Ridge uh, to simply pray for our neighbors. As in, knock on the door, walk up to the doorstep, dress in clothes that make you look as least JW and Jehovah Witnessy as possible, and simply ask, Hey, my name is Jordan. I'm from the Church and Community Center just on Chevry. Is there anything we can pray for you for? And you wouldn't believe the responses that come out of these questions. Simple, simple question. Before our team set out uh, on this particular time to, to, to go pray in the neighborhood, uh, I felt a tug at my heart. And the only thing I can, can describe this tug as is the Holy Spirit telling me something. And he said, go into the park. And I said, okay, I'll go into the park. So I grabbed a friend of mine, and we, in, we sent the rest of the teams, okay, you can go to this street, you can go to this street, you can go to this street, and, and we decided to go into the park. And as we were walking in the park, uh, we, we get to the entrance of the park, and I can see off in the distance, there's two uh, young families. And I think, okay, this is it. But as I get closer, I realize that the men of these two young families are really strong, and they have a lot of muscles. And I think to myself, and I judge them for a minute, and I think, they probably don't want me sharing with them about the gospel or sharing the, with their wives about the gospel because they could probably beat me up, so I'm just going to move right on. And despite this tugging my heart that I felt at that, or, or before we even got to the park, knowing I needed to have a conversation with those people, uh, we, my, my friend and I, we walked right through the park, and we went right to the row of houses on the other end of the park. And so we started knocking on doors, and praying for people, and it was really cool experiences that were coming out of it. And then we got to the row of homes that were just opposite the park. We walked up the door, knocked, waited, and nobody answered. As I'm turning around, I hear, what can I do for you? Bellowed from the street. As I turn around, it's a very muscular man and his family asking me what he can do for me as I realize I'm standing on his doorstep. At that moment, I was like, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> I ran. But you've brought this guy right to me. Walked down the doors, or walked down the steps into the street, and we began to have conversation. I asked a simple question. We're just going around. We're from the local church and community center, uh, and we're just wondering what we can pray for you for. And the, the reply came, well, we're new to the neighborhood. We're brand new here. Uh, and then they also said, well, we're Christians too. 
And we were able to draw a couple common uh, links and denominators in between us. And off to the side was, was somebody else, their neighbor. They were new to the neighborhood. They had just met their neighbor. They were having a play date at the park with their kids. And we were able to pray for her neighbor. Uh, her neighbor simply uh, requested healing for somebody with mental illness in her family. Some, she said, if God could do anything, it would be this. And here we are having 15 minutes like prayer meeting in the middle of a Linden Ridge street. A jogger runs by and says, hi, Jordan. I'm like, oh, hi. She's like, oh, yeah, I send my kids to youth at uh, Soul Sanctuary. We don't go there. But there's this like this crazy dynamic playing out in the street. And, and in this case, I ran from the mission that I thought God had put on my heart. I ran and God brought it right to my door. Do you have a willing heart to be on mission? Do you have a heart that is ready to maybe step outside of your comfortable Christianity? The gospel message of Christ is good news waiting to be shared. So take a moment this morning and ask yourself, what does that look like for me, a follower of Christ? Maybe you love to listen. Maybe you're a good listener. People have told you that. Who in your life needs a genuine listening ear? Who can you encourage with the gospel message? Maybe you're really good at making money. That's your stick. Consider how you can help fund those missionaries or groups like our Wildlife Jamaica missions team. Maybe you're like Paul and you got a host of talents. Then what does it look like for you to lead those around you into a God-saved life? Maybe God's been softening your heart for Russia, Jamaica, South Africa, or maybe for Linden Ridge. And you recognize that your, your next step is to commit vocationally to missions work. You ever thought about that? We don't really send missionaries in our own city. Come to the Welcome Center and chat with one of the pastors at the end of the gathering. Send us an email at info at soulsanctuary.ca. We'd love to empower you. We'd love to walk alongside you. And today, my prayer for you is that you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to help you understand how you can live a life on mission for him. And, and before we close up, maybe you're sitting here as a result of somebody sharing Christ's light your way. Perhaps you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And maybe you're still figuring this faith thing out. I want you to know that there's time and there is space for you here at Soul Sanctuary, that you are welcome here. Just know that Jesus does love you, that he cares about every single detail of your life, and he longs for you to draw close to him. If you're ready to, to make or to take that next step, if you'd like to talk with somebody about it, our pastors are at the Welcome Center. Hit us up here at the church. Talk with the person who, who brought you. We'd love to walk alongside you as you decide to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you hear our prayers. We want to be more like you. We want to share the good news that you have graciously given us. We trust in you to give us words when we don't have them, and we rely on your Holy Spirit to shine through us as we share your love. Lord Jesus, we love you and we are thankful for your sacrifice and for new life found in you. Amen. Stand with me this morning.
before we go, in times of old, the one to give a blessing raised their hands, and those receiving that blessing did likewise. If you'd like a blessing this morning, raise your hands with us. So sanctuary, may you go out from here recognizing that you are a missionary, called by name with a mission to share the good news. May you trust in the Lord for wisdom and strength to share. May you keep your bearings in Christ, but enter into the world of your family, your friends, your co-workers, and communities. May you become a servant to all in your attempts to lead those you meet into a God-saved life. And may you do it all for the message, not just talking about it, but being in on it. Amen. We'll see you next week.